Let's take our Bibles. We'll be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Luke chapter 10. Well, my plans this morning are to take about 20 minutes to give you a lesson from our text. I'm not done, all right? There's going to be more than 20 minutes. And then to give about 20 minutes to how we can live out that lesson. So the key word in that is about, about. Uh, God has gifted certain words and phrases to preachers that mean nothing, all right? You know, the words like about, in closing, I'm almost done, uh, those mean nothing. But uh, I have six pages of notes today. Uh, I typically have two, all right? And so I'm going to do my very best to get through this today in a timely fashion, but it is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I'm going to take my time getting to that part of the message because I want to lay a foundation on some things, but um, I want to do my very best to get through it. And you're like, well, get to it. Quit talking. And that's what we'll do here this morning. First of all, I want to talk about the lesson, the lesson. Back on the 8th of January, our second Sunday of 2023, I introduced to our church our theme for this year, love, serve, reach. And over these last three weeks now, including today, we have, uh, we have defined love based on our text of uh, Deuteronomy 6, Matthew 22, and Mark chapter number 12 of where we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we'll see that in our text today in Luke chapter 10 as well. When we thought of the heart, we thought of the depth of our love, how deep our love. Our love for God should be the deepest of all our loves. When we talk of our, uh, our soul, we talk about the devotion of our love, our mind, our dependence of love. And then our strength, our distinction, or the gifts that God has used in our lives to uh, how he's uniquely gifted each of us. And then last Sunday we looked at a very familiar passage in John chapter 3 where we considered love displayed. And so we've had love defined, love displayed. And this morning I want to see love indeed. D-E-E-D, love indeed, or love in action. And so if you will, look with me to Luke chapter number 10. And um, we're going to begin our reading in verse number 30 in a moment. But let me highlight some things from verses 25 through 29. Uh, in this passage of Scripture, once again, we see Jesus is being confronted by the religious leaders and right off the bat, we see the motivation of this particular individual in verse number 25. Look at what it says there. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, tempted Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, just with the question, we would say that's a great question, isn't it? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, a great question, an important question. But we see his motivation is, is prefaced for us there where he did this to tempt Jesus. The idea there is that he did this to trouble or trip up Jesus. So his motive was not to truly find out the answer. His motive was perhaps I can get Jesus confused or tripped up on this matter. Of course he couldn't because Jesus is God. And you cannot trip up God. You cannot confuse God. But this was this man's attempt. 
we see that he was a lawyer. Now, don't let your mind run wild there too much. Our thoughts of lawyers today is different than what we're seeing here. A lawyer would have been an expert in the law. And when I say the law, I'm talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. The books of Moses, the Pentateuch. This man was an expert in the books of Moses, the writings of the law. Uh, another term for him would have been the term scribe. Uh, and we talked about it, that in that first message here on the 8th of January. These various individuals, Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, uh, Herodians, and scribes or lawyers. And so here's one of these religious leaders, again, trying to trip up Jesus in this fashion. Now Jesus' response to this is he leads this man to quote a familiar passage of scripture to him from the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Notice Jesus' response in verse 26. And he said unto him, what is written in the law? How readest thou? And the man goes back to Deuteronomy 6 and he's answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. And then that leads this man to uh, ask a further question, not satisfied with the response or the answer of Jesus. And he goes on to say, who is my neighbor in verse number 29? And that's going to lead us to our text today from verse 30 to 37. Let me read those verses and you follow along with me this morning. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came on and looked and on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he, had, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an end, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he, the lawyer, the scribe, said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Let's pray together. Father, I pray now that you'd help us this morning as we consider these thoughts from, from your teaching, from your word. And we pray, God, that you would guide and direct us, work in our hearts and our lives as only God can do. And I pray, God, that we would leave here a changed and better people today and when we came in, in Jesus' name, amen. We're first introduced here to a certain man in verse number uh, 30. Uh, he's described as a certain man, and it could have been anyone. It could have been a Jew or a Gentile, rich or poor man. But this certain man on his way, on his journey down to Jericho from Jerusalem, uh, he found himself 
a victim of a crime. Uh, he is robbed by thieves and thugs, taken of all of his possessions, and beaten to the point where he's described there as being half dead. So you have this man that is now laying on the road here, and that leads us to our next character. He's called a certain priest. He was a religious man, and he carried himself that way, being a priest. He would have had the wardrobe. He would have had the, the look of this religious leader. His response to the victim is somewhat surprising, isn't it? He sees this man, and instead of going to his aid, he goes to the other side of the road and walks around him. The next character is described as a Levite in verse number 32. This would be a man that lived by the law religiously. Uh, he perhaps would have temple responsibilities. and He has the same response as this religious priest. He passes on by this poor man without coming to his aid. I have to think that this lawyer is perhaps intrigued by this story that Jesus is sharing with him. He's an expert in the law. He's a religious Jew. And no doubt Jesus talking about a priest and talking about a Levite would perhaps have his interest. And I would love to see his facial reaction when Jesus brings in this next character. When he says, a certain Samaritan. Now, let me remind you, Jew and Gentile alike did not like the Samaritans. In fact, the Samaritans were a group of people that were not received by anyone. They were a group of people that had, uh, over generations, uh, become a, a, a nation or a people group, but they started off as, as part Jew and part Gentile. And they've intermixed now, and they've become their own people group, but Jews would not accept them, and Gentiles would not accept them. And so they were often looked down upon, they were despised, they were rejected, they were considered to be low class. Now I would say all those things they were rejected by many people, but you know who they were not rejected by? Jesus Christ. In John chapter 4, Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Most Jews would go way out of their way, travel extra miles to avoid the region of Samaria. But Jesus on purpose went through Samaria so that he could have an encounter with a woman at the well. And so Jesus loved them and Jesus accepted them. And he uses this man that we've come to know as the good Samaritan. In fact, the, the term, the, the description is very common in our world. There are companies named after the good Samaritan. Uh, there are ministries named after the good Samaritan. God took something that was despised, something that was rejected, and it lives on to this day as a, as a, as a character of, uh, of love and compassion. And so here comes this good Samaritan, and he sees this man, and uh, he looks across there and and the description of this man in verse number 33 would be the, one of our key thoughts today, that he had compassion on him. 
If you can imagine, perhaps he's pulling a donkey or riding on his donkey and he comes around the corner and he spies this man that has been beaten half to death and he's been robbed of everything that he has and he's laying there uh, on his way to dying and he sees that and he's moved with compassion. Look at verse number 34 in those first four words, and went to him. Well, those are some powerful words, aren't they? seeing the need of this man and he got off of his beast and and he ran over to this man and he immediately begins to care for this man and it was motivated by this compassion. Let me read a definition to you of the word compassion. It means to be moved as to one's bowels and that would speak of the the inner parts of man. The Jews considered the bowels to be the, 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 the origination and the seat of love and pity. So this is a deep moved compassion is speaking of love. And so what we see here is compassion is love. And back to our thought this morning of love in deed or love in action. We are seeing a man motivated by love and then responding to this love. Notice three things with me here. His compassion impacted his travel or his schedule. Uh, He went to this man, verse number 34. Uh, He saw him, he saw his need, and he took time away from his schedule. He took time away from his deadline. He took time away from his destination. And he went to this man because this man had a need that needed to be met. Compassion impacted his travel. Compassion impacted his time. If you read this account here, uh, uh, this is now not just turning into a moment or even an hour or hours, but it's turning into days. He takes him and he, he cares for him that day and he puts him in an inn and, and, and he, he tells the, the innkeeper, I'll be back at a later time to finish this and to repay you. This is turned into a, a, a major part of his life. So compassion has impacted his travel, it's impacted his time, and certainly his compassion impacted his treasure. He takes his own oil, he takes his own wine, he pays for the inn, he's going to come back, he commits to the innkeeper, I will repay you everything else you've had to to spend on this man. And so it's impacted him financially. Was this a business trip? Was this a pleasure trip for him, a relaxation? But not anymore. Everything's changed now because of compassion. Now let me remind you this morning, we're to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But don't forget this. And thy neighbor as thyself. Well, who is the neighbor? Who are our neighbors? And I would say they are far more than just the people that live on either side of us or across from us, but they are the people that you will encounter each and every day. They are the people that God will place in your path. 
as you're just on your way, making your journey, living your life, and suddenly you see someone there that's laying by the side of the road in a figurative manner, and they're in great need. God moves your heart with compassion. Because of your great love for God, there's a, there's a yearning in your heart for this individual. You'll notice that the priest or religion could not and did not save this man. You'll notice that the law did not save this man. What saved this man? It was compassion. It was mercy. It was grace that saved this man. I think I'm doing pretty good. That's my lesson this morning. We got through that pretty quick. Let's learn now about living out that lesson. Let's see how can we do this. I was reading an illustration about a little boy that came home from Sunday school and he had learned about the Good Samaritan that day and he did a wonderful job of telling his mom about the Good Samaritan. He had the story in order. He had all the characters in the right place. Everything was good about it. And then the mom said this, well, what does that teach us? What can we learn from that? And his response was this. It means that when we are in trouble... Others should come to help us. (laughs) This young man saw himself as the guy that got beat up and robbed. Now perhaps we all have been in that time or we may be in that time at some point in our lives. And isn't it grateful to have someone come and stand and be by your side and help you in those days? But I think the primary lesson today, church is we need to be the good Samaritan. We need to have the heart and the compassion of this individual known as the good Samaritan. Be moved by love, which inspires us to do. It may impact our travel. It may impact our time and our treasure, but we must go to our neighbors. Now, in this season... We typically take a Sunday or two at this, the week before or this Sunday, to highlight the sanctity of life. When we speak of the sanctity of life, we are speaking of the significance of life, the the holiness of life, the specialness of life. We choose this Sunday because of a historic decision that, was le- that, that legalized abortion across our nation on January 22nd, 1973. It's a court case called Roe v. Wade, or Roe v. Wade. And since that time, it legalized in a federal way abortion across our nation. And over those years from 1973 to this current day well over 60 million babies have been murdered while still in the womb of their mother what a what a terrible mark that is upon our nation brother joe mentioned it this morning in his prayers and uh, and asking god to forgive us and to forgive our nation I could show you this morning, and we won't take the time, I've done it before, to show you how science and scripture agree 
that life does begin in the womb. Life does begin at conception. And for them to use science as an excuse to abort a child, to murder a child, is, is just covering up a choice. Living babies have been brutally murdered while alive in their mother's womb. Now, I am very grateful, as I'm sure most of you are, that our, this last year, our Supreme Court on June 24, 2022, overturned Roe versus Wade, no longer making it a federal mandate, but giving individual states the right to curtail or cease abortions. That's a great step in the right direction, but abortions have not stopped. There still are many states that are participating in them. There are people leaving their state that they live in that perhaps they cannot get that abortion on going to other states. It's still going on all around in our nation. And there are those that are fighting to overturn that decision. They'll do their very best. The fight is not over. But we must keep intervening for these children that do not have a voice yet. Look at these children as the neighbor. Let love, let compassion motivate you today to get off of your beast, to move to them, and to do something in this fight for life. Let me give you three thoughts this morning. Let me first of all give you a political thought. And I won't belabor this i don't i don't put it at number one because i think it's the most important but let me just get the ball rolling this morning and give you a political thought god has blessed us in america where we still have the right and the ability to vote and i want to continue to urge you to vote every one of us must vote at every election whether we're voting for the dog catcher or for the president of the United States or anything in between, we have the right to vote and we should be voting. Not only that, we ought to urge our neighbors and our, our friends and our family to, to vote. Vote is a, voting is a great privilege. And by the way, we are heading towards a direction where we're going to lose that ability one day. We're headed that direction and voting is one of our key things. And so voting, but not just voting, being educated about the candidates and their stands that you will vote either for or against, especially on matters like abortion. And by the way, for me, abortion is at the top of my list. It's before finances, it's before uh, politics, it's before all those things. What their stand on abortion goes right to the top of my list. I could agree with every other thing in their life. If they're for abortion, I'm not for them. Won't vote for them. Several years ago when we were living in Ohio, in our little community of Gehanna, I had a guy knock on my door one day. And I opened the door and asked how I could help him. And he introduced himself to me. And he had a bunch of paraphernalia there with him. And he said that he was running for council person or councilman in our, in our, in our city. And I thanked him. So, well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I took his material, and I'm looking through it, and, and I don't see anything that, uh, and the key things that I would be looking for. And so I asked him what party he was affiliated with, and 
he begrudgingly told me. And then I said, well, where do you stand on abortion? And he looked at me and said, sir, I'm a council. I'm running for a councilman position. I'm worried about roads. I'm worried about uh, our taxes in our town. I'm worried about police and fire and, and, and those type of things. It doesn't matter what my stand on abortion is. I said, that's where you're wrong, buddy. It does matter to me what your stand is on abortion. And he left there very disappointed that day, realizing he wasn't going to get my vote. And we not need to be educated and know who we're voting for. Heritage has for many years and will continue or plan to continue to allow during those seasons political candidates to come and have a brief presentation to our church. They come and they tell us who they are and what position they're running for and we give them three to five minutes and we ask them to stay for the entirety of the service. They get to hear a gospel message and then we ask them to stay afterwards in our foyer and greet people. And one of our primary reasons for doing that is to learn about candidates, who you should or should not vote for. By the way, if we ever had someone show up here and did not stand for the sanctity of life, there ought to be 500 people in line that day to go out and to tell them how disappointed they are in that individual. To let them know that that's not a scriptural stand, that you're going against the word of God, and that it should be our right to let them know that Heritage Baptist Church and the people of Heritage Baptist Church stand for the sanctity of life. We've recently developed a team of individuals here that we're calling our watchdogs about political matters here at Heritage. Uh, men that are not just listening to the national news, but are following the local things. Things that affect us right here in Prince William County. Things that they can bring to our attention so we can vote intelligently. And so I want to encourage you, vote, vote intelligently, and get involved. Get involved where you can. Volunteer on voting day. Campaign for those that have biblical morals. Run for a position at the county level. From the school board to town and country, county positions, let's be involved. We need believers in these roles. There's a political thought, but let me give you a practical thought this morning. Again, thinking... In this realm of the unborn and the murder of the unborn, how can we help? I'm grateful for a ministry that we support called Life First. And others like it. Where they offer expectant mothers free ultrasounds and counsel and direction about their pregnancies. Last year I read a statistic about Life First where I think 45% of their clientele come in abortion-minded. They come in with the thought that they're probably going to have an abortion. But after seeing an ultrasound and after talking to a counselor, after hearing the gospel, many of them are saved and many of them turn, change their minds and, and have this child. We need to continue to support Life First with our finances. We support them on a monthly basis here at Heritage and we'll also be doing a 
a love offering for them again this year to help them with these, their expenses. But I'd also encourage you to consider volunteering at Life First. Volunteering to share the gospel with individuals. Volunteer to go and help there with this ministry. It's one thing just to throw our money at it, but we need to throw our lives at it as well. We need to get off of our beast. We need to make our way forward and go to them and help these that are fighting for the lives of the unborn. I want to venture down another path here of practical, a practical thought. And I don't bring these terms up in a nonchalant manner. But let me speak for a moment and hear me out. Don't let me say the two words and then your mind just go one direction. But the area of foster care and adoption. Obviously those are big and major decisions that have an impact on a family or individuals that could last for years and years and decades. The impact of those type of decisions. And I'm not trying today to guilt anyone to feel like they need to participate and become a foster family or adopt a child. In my years of ministry as a pastor, I have counseled various families. I bet you I've probably cautioned people to not go down that path more than I have encouraged people to go down that path because I realize and recognize the significance of such a decision and the impact that it can have on a family. But there are some that are called to that ministry Call to that life. We have several families in our church that have been involved with that, but a particular family in our church that has prayed about this and has gotten involved in foster care and very recently adoption is James, Sarah, Cassidy, and now Marin O'Hara. Just, just adopted Marin not too long ago. And uh, James and Sarah have learned a lot about the life of, of, of a fostering parent. The joys and the heartaches of fostering. I asked Sarah if she would describe for me fostering. And I just want to read you a portion of her words. She says, when children come into care, they are often behind developmentally have erratic and unpredictable behaviors, difficulty sleeping, etc. These are all understandable things when your life is characterized by chaos, instability, or abuse. The mind places emphasis on self-preservation rather than making sure you can keep up with schoolwork. Foster parents are one phone call away from adding one or more extra children to their family for an indefinite amount of time. These children usually arrive with little to no clothing, hygiene products, or necessities. All of that culminates in foster parents rushing to buy clothes, get car seats, comfort items, and scheduling doctor's appointments. Some children need ongoing doctor's appointments to address their health issues. Therapy is usually a part of a foster child's weekly routine. Finding out how to make them feel safe enough to sleep, discovering what foods they will eat, purchasing clothing in their size, this is all the foster parent's responsibility. Often after visitation with a biological family or therapy appointment, children are very emotional and need extra attention and comfort. Each child has unique needs and difficulties. 
Even in a group of siblings, each child could have completely different needs than that of their siblings. A typical week, I summarized what she said, a typical week for a foster family is one of chaos and constant motion. Get these stats. Every two minutes, a child enters the foster care system in the United States. The total number of foster homes in the United States is, uh, is over 212,000. And Virginia specifically has 3,600 foster homes. 105 children are in foster care in Prince William County. And there are 80 foster homes in Prince William County. James and Sarah came to me some time ago and began telling me about a burden that they had. Besides being foster parents, they would like to lead a ministry at Heritage that we are calling Fulfill, based out of Galatians 6.2, which says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said these words, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. And so by fulfilling the law of Christ in the homes of these foster families, James and Sarah, are you even in here today? They're over here. Would you all stand just for a moment, just so people can see who they are? They want to begin this ministry It's not a ministry of drafting more foster families or adopting families, but it's a ministry where we can be a help to fostering families, providing meals, supplies, prayers and encouragement, going to these 80 or so homes here in Prince William County. It might mean that the carpenters Uh, call a family up and say, hey, we want to bring a meal over to you on Tuesday night just to give you a little bit of a break. We want to offer some babysitting so mom and dad can go do some shopping, whatever the case may be. And being motivated by compassion for these homes, we do these things. I'd encourage you, the O'Hara's have a and a sign-up sheet out here at the Information Center, or they will take questions. They also are going to be starting this ministry and are looking for people that will join them to be a help in this area. Thank you. You can remove that slide. So those are some practical thoughts. I've given you a political thought. But let me share with you now the most important one. What can we do to change something like this curse of abortion here in our nation. And I call this a powerful thought. Uh, Several weeks ago on a Sunday evening, I shared with you the passage in Romans chapter number 1, verse number 16, where Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the, what? Power of God unto salvation. That word power is the word uh, in the Greek, uh, if I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but, but dunamis. And in that word is the thought of power, explosive power. In fact, it's where we get our word dynamite from. I want to remind you how powerful the gospel is. And how the gospel has and will continue to change lives of individuals that were once Uh, Like Paul, a a persecutor of the church, becoming a preacher of the gospel. 
And it's impacted many of you in here, and it's changed your life. And if we're ever going to change our nation, this must be the way we change it. Oh, still be political. Oh, still be practical. But church, we've got to get the gospel out there. That is the key to turning this nation around. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that is transforming. And I would encourage you today that you would take this challenge of getting the gospel out. Oh, we have various ministries where you can get involved here. The bus ministry, the SOAR ministry, which by the way, our attendance is lacking in. Many are not being involved in SOAR ministry like they once were. But even beyond just those church ministries, every day, God brings people across our path that are wounded and they're beat up by this world and we see them and oftentimes we're like that religious priest. We walk away from them. Oftentimes we're like that Levite and we walk away from them. And I'm telling you today, church, if we're going to change this world, we've got to get off our beast. We've got to get off of our thoughts, our time, our schedule, our treasures. And we've got to go to them. We've got to go there. We've got to get our hands dirty. We've got to get down and get down in those wounds and, and, and bring healing. And that healing comes through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a joy it would be this year if we would have individual after individual that says, God allowed me to lead this person to the Lord. God allowed me to lead that person. I saw this person that was hurting. God brought me uh, them across my path. I went to them and was able to see them born again, saved, changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, that is the key, the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm encouraging us to have love indeed. Love in action. Don't just know about it. Live it. Don't just have the knowledge of this story. Live this story. And let's let love be acted out in our life each and every day. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this, this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Love indeed. Love in action. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we'll stand after that prayer, and we'll enter in what we call our invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the message today. Perhaps the Lord has spoken to your heart. He's convicted your heart. You can feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Perhaps you want to pray about one of these practical things, life first, the fulfill ministry, some other ministry. Perhaps today, uh, the thought of politics and perhaps the Lord tugged on your heart. i got to get involved there. But don't let any of us put those or elevate those over the gospel. And perhaps there's someone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Savior. That you've never received the gospel of Jesus Christ. If I could summarize it in just a few words, the gospel is this. It's that God loves you. He gave his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins he was buried and then he came back from the grave alive victorious over sin and over death and through the death burial and resurrection 
you can have salvation. It's given to us freely. We just must receive it, accept it. If you're here today and you're not certain about your eternity, we would love to take time today to show you from the scriptures on how you can be saved. Perhaps you are saved here today. You know Christ is your Savior. Are you telling anybody about it? Are you sharing the gospel with those around you? We've got to get to that point, church. We must have love in action. Father, I pray that you take this invitation now, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory. Burden and convict hearts. And help us to respond and be obedient to you today. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as the piano begins to play, would you stand with me this morning? The Lord's touched your heart today. Would you respond? The altar's available. Others are here today that are here to help and to aid you. Would you come today and respond to the Lord this morning?